0: Yeah, brother, there's a lot of people out there talking about us, for us, at us, but seldom with us. So it's time that we get out there and express our voices, share our worldview, and become accountable. Why? Because I am Five a podcast that invites free-thinking black men into a shared space for unapologetic conversations about contemporary issues related to self, society, and the world. So join us for these provocative moments. Let's get at it. Welcome to I Am 5 Fibs. I'm your co-host, Ahmad Mansour.
1: And I'm your other co-host, Bill Thomason. What's up, Black? All right, brother. How you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, sir, man. Happy New Year. So I guess, man...
0: In the uh, podcast world, I guess you could say that this is uh, our second season of uh, of, I am <laughs> Five, of I am Five fifths. Oh
1: man, we got two in, brother.
0: Yeah, man, I love yeah. it. So this is the second season, and you know, so how how do you think about the first season? What what do you think? You know, how did it go? How, how do you think we bonded with our audience?
1: You know, man, as I said when we close out the year, I'm just elated that we did it. You know, okay. we kept we stopped talking about it and we actually did it, man. Two black men talking about black male issues and the key word being unapologetic. So I'm I'm happy man because we we made the step to do something that a lot of people just talk about.
0: Right. Well I know you love that word unapologetic, man. And, and I think that we have done a pretty good job at taking on topics that Aren't necessarily easy or uh, safe topics, and I think for the second season, um, I want to do more of that. But more than yeah. anything, I want to challenge. I think even start starting off today, the topic that we're going to deal with today around uh, the search for Black identity. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a very good topic, man, mm-hmm. to start off. Uh, the new year, because as you know, identity has always been something that we've had to navigate, um, you know, as a, as a race, as a culture. And today, you know, we're seeing a society that um, brings up the issue of, of identity and there's many different perspectives about it, whether it should be around, whether it's played out or whatever. And so, I know you and I have spoken about this, and we wanted to make this uh, the topic uh, of this particular episode. So, brother, are you ready to uh, throw down and let's give, get it on. Uh, give a riff on Five on the Black Hand Side?
1: Let's get it on, baby. Uh, let's get, uh, it, on. Let's get probably, it on. Let's get it on. By really the way, top. we coming back with the Five on the Black Hand Side segment. Oh, we man. heard that that was a hit. <laughs>
0: absolutely, man. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, hold on. Here's my... That's my virtual slap where go, I gave sir. you five on the black-ass <laughs> side. Yes,
0: sir. Yes, so, sir.
1: man, here's, here's my point, man. I got to start out, bro, with an article, man. This almost how I'm going to start out my riff. So check this out. This is from September 3rd in the New York Times 2021. Facebook users who recently watched a video from a British tabloid featuring black men saw an automated prompt from the social network that asked if they would like to keep seeing videos about primates. All right, I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Causing the company to investigate and disable the artificial intelligence power feature that pushed the message. On Friday, Facebook apologized for what it called an unacceptable error, (laughs) right? and said it was looking into the recommendation feature to prevent this from happening again. I started off my riff with that because, see, even in the artificial intelligence world, the technology is still looking at calling Black men something substandard. You know, I was reading, I went back mad, and I'm reading like some of my old books over the holidays. I'm going back to some of the classics, right? Like Black Boy, Invisible Man, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Cause I feel like once a year, man, I gotta go and dig deep and just remind myself that our struggle period is not over but the identity issue is still a real one. It's like Richard Wright said in um, Invisible Man, he said, it's a quote in there It says, when I discover who I am, I will be free. And if anyone that has not read Invisible Man, by the way, uh, that's something that Ahmad and I are going to work on this year. We're going to put together a book list of every a book that every Black man needs to read. That book's going to be at the top of the list. Because even in that book, the brother that's the narrator don't even have a name. They don't even give him a name. He's just the narrator telling a story. And so I'm excited about this opportunity to talk about our image, our how we, how we show up, because when we landed in this country as slaves some 400-something years ago, we were told what our identity was. You a slave. That's your identity. Now we have the opportunity to, to, to control our identity, control who we are. And a lot of us are still walking around like slaves. So that's my five on the black hand slide. Right on, brother. That's, that's, I got to make it loud. Okay.
0: Right on, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's great, man, because I got a, I got a, I got a slight different take on okay. this topic of black identity. And so I actually start off by saying, man, that black identity is no longer a novel concept and that black America looks and acts like every population in America. Now it embodies a consumer culture and it, and it has unenlightened values. And so really when I look at black identity, I see that, that since freedom is no longer on the table that threaten the lives of black people, uh, race has become pretty mute. Um, the ideal of cultural production around art and creativity has always been tied to the struggle. And since the post, uh, 1960s I've really seen nothing that reflects a post civil rights construct for what it means to be black, uh, in America. And as a result today, especially today, I see that blackness is weaponized for power in the Mm -hmm. realm of identity politics. You see black people overly performing racial identity in a way that commoditizes blackness for political, corporate and diversity reasons. And so what you see is is that um, in the political class, you see them often using race and mapping it to the Democratic party for votes
1: Preach, brother. Preach.
0: Using using political uh, threats of going back to Jim Crow. And also you see the political class really not concerned about anything related to identity other than their own personal gains uh, under the, the auspices of diversity and inclusion. And then you see uh, us on TV. So these are things that are about the black and political class using identity, but it does not improve the material conditions of struggling black Americans who still have to endure poor schools, single parents and crime. And so when I look at this, I see that we continue to push this this race narrative, this identity narrative, because we're looking for the approval of white people. We're looking at pointing the problem to the externalities of structure and looking to see attitudes change, but we're using it all under identity. So for me, I see black identity today as nothing but a tool to commoditize and get personal gain from. That's my riff and five on the black hand side, my brother.
1: Man, I just gave you a high five on that, brother. See, man, that's why I love you, man. Because, bro, you broke that down. And see, this is why these conversations are important. Because for you and I, as black men living in America, you know, these are the challenges that we face. And now they've taken even that. I, what, what's the word? Did you say you we, they weaponized it?
0: Yes. Well, talk
1: about that some more, man. Yeah.
0: So what what I mean by that is that black identity today is really used as a commodity. And so what I mean by weaponized is that we use the identity of blackness to either scave off uh, a, a critique from others, more particularly white people. So if there's something that white people have to say, we use it to scape off critique and we weaponize it for our own personal gain. So when we want to show up uh, in spaces more, our arguments are often around what someone is doing to us with the idea that that will put them in a position of uh, pushing um, material changes based on, our complaint, our grievance of uh, um, based on race and racism. So really blackness has become a tool. Um, you know, DEI for example, and I mentioned that mm-hmm. in my thing, like you mm-hmm. have, you know, if you wanna see gains in corporate America, you know, we, we, we come up with these ideas around race and, And deficiencies in that system to try to push, you know, uh, uh, the corporate environment to do something for us. And a lot of times, Bill, this is pure performance, Mm -hmm. pure performance that doesn't necessarily is not steeped in data. And when it is you and when data is used, is used based on the ideal of disparity and disparity does not always equal racism. Race could be a factor, but there can Mm -hmm. be a lot of other different determinants that play into why something is the way it is. But it just seems that we have come to this place in 2022, and more particularly since the George Floyd incident, where we have put race so far out in front that we're not even addressing some of the real material issues in these communities like schools and, and economic mobility. It's just something that just doesn't, it, you don't see as a core uh,
1: problem anymore. So yesterday, man, we celebrated, and I say we meaning the United States, celebrated the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as a national holiday. So, you know, there were events going on and. You know, even in in uh, uh, in spite of COVID, you know, folks getting together, and I was sitting there thinking <clears throat> that when Dr. King was alive, he, you know, we had something that came out of the civil rights movement called affirmative action, right? And you and I was little kids when that came out, but uh, my parents and you know, and uncles and whatnot, they were able to. And I, I don't even know if I want to use the word benefit, man. I, I, I'm, I'm not even, I can't even use that word. But they they were, now, now, what is it, 30, I'm sorry, 50, 40, 50 years later, we got another word called diversity, equity, and inclusion. I was going to ask, is there any difference between the two?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you're You're kind of seeing a new version of uh, of affirmative action, I guess philosophically, you could say, but I really want I want to step back and, okay. and since we bring up King and really address this issue of identity because I really want to stay on identity. And what I realize is that in a pre-civil rights movement, you know identity was, core to, to kind of holding the glue together around struggle and, and overcoming struggle and this whole ideal around liberation and freedom. And that was always in the form of a movement. Like, you know, uh, even when you look at all of the leaders of the past, going back to Booker T. Washington, W.E.D. uh, some of the great musicians, it was always about this concept of uplifting the race right? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the racial, the racial identity became the glue for our liberation. In the post civil rights era, we've gone from being about a, a movement to an industry, right? Mm-hmm. And so now you look at civil, post civil rights, it's like an industry. And in order to, to, to construct power in your industry, you have to constantly submit race as problematic in the American zeitgeist, right? You have to submit it to corporations. You have to submit it politically. You have to submit it in all these ways in which you can continue to have gains from that. But when you really look around, um, using race as a marker has not necessarily and materially Translated into anything within our uh, social structure post civil rights. Actually, um, I heard someone and I can't remember their name, but they mentioned how since post civil rights we've had over um, I forget I think it's like seven thousand elected black officials,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: in you know uh, in our cities and our communities, and what has that turned into? Well, for Nothing. me, I see a big fat zero. Now I'm not no. saying that progress have not been made since the post 1960s. Anyone who says that um, is really, really trying to not recognize um, uh, growth and development within our society. But when I see how race is used everywhere along the way, it just doesn't translate into issues that are relevant to these communities that are dealing and really catching hell,
1: you know, uh, in the communities that we know so well. You know, when I'm sitting here and we're talking about just identity, and again, this this podcast is really geared toward and about Black men, but just the identity of the Black community. You know, uh, both of us grew up in urban inner city America, right? You in San Francisco and me in Detroit. You know, and during the 70s, Detroit had a, a famous mayor, uh, Coleman A. Young, who was uh, iconic in the things that he did, not just for the community, but for the black community. And one of them was dismantling, not dismantling, well, yeah, yes. Dismantling uh, a racist police department and infusing uh, black police officers into the police department. So when I look back at things like that, when we talk about black leadership, like I, I know you and I, how we feel, like we're not saying that they were absolutely useless and didn't do anything. Right. There were there were always iconic black leaders in political positions who did some phenomenal things. I yeah. mean, I start with Thurgood Marshall.
0: Right. Right. Well, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, uh, definitely. Once again, I, I'm talking post civil rights because. And, right. And so, of course, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, th- there are some exceptions, you know, when you look at, you know, uh, the Atlanta mayor. Um, maynard jackson maynard and i'm not jackson. trying to give
1: him a pass yeah yeah yeah. Who who, yeah who
0: who was who was a, a blueprint for how you really bring you know black power into and wealth um, and, yeah, and, and, and wealth, wealth and wealth into a political yep. setting yep. and you know and and quite frank a cat that you know no one likes to speak to because of his tragic ending yeah, but with um, but but the brother in D.C., man, I forget his name. Oh, right? Mary and Barry. Mary and Barry, right? And yeah. so th- there there are some good yeah. examples. But once again, I, my my point is, is that, okay, let, let's, I want to kind of change this up. All right. And I want to ask you a question because you asked me a question here. All so right. do you think that Black identity has material value when it comes to our representation and our needs uh, and the needs that need to be uh, met in some of the the communities that we deal with?
1: I guess the way I'm gonna answer that is I look at a lot of the the industries that are identified as being black. When you think of hip hop, for example, and hip hop music, and other than maybe, maybe a few cats out here, my understanding is that most of that is that industry is still owned by non black people. And they are the ones, I don't have those statistics, but my understanding is that, you know, that's still, owned and controlled by someone non-black, meaning it's a culture that came out again. I'm no hip hop historian. So if anybody wanna throw rocks at me, uh, put your rocks down. I'm not a historian, but from my understanding, it came out of the inner city, New York. That's really where hip hop, as we know it today was birthed. And a lot of that industry was built on the backs of young black and brown artists. I, I got a friend of mine, man, who works, I just ran into him last week and he, I didn't even know this, he grew up in the Bronx. And he said, man, I remember hanging out on the playground with LL Cool J when that brother was standing in a playground with a DJ and just rapping. And it was a young brother passing out flyers, telling people to come listen to him Oh, by the way, his name was Russell Simmons, and both of those men are now iconic in the hip-hop industry, and they've done well for themselves, but I look at, like, LL, he's an actor on TV now, on NCIS, I believe, and Russell, I think they went after him during the Me Too movement, he's out of the country, I don't even know if he ever coming back, so I guess, man. I want to answer it like this, Ahmad. We, we, I believe, like you're right. I believe they have taken our in the the black identity. They've weaponized it and they've monetized it. Well, first of all, when you
0: say they, who are you referring to? Oh, okay. Versus, versus
1: I, like the the man the, the the man standing behind the wizards. Right. Uh, yeah, it's not the dude. What for? What is that? For the Wizard of Oz right. behind the curtain pulling the string. Right. I just, I would just call it mainstream, the main, the mainstream world.
0: See, see that, see that, that's where I would, that's where I would disagree with you on. Okay. Like I, I you know, first of all, I know that a lot of times we kind of set up, you know, the um power dynamics, you know, of, of blacks in America as kind of us against, you know, the man or the system, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but what I'm speaking to is when I say they, I am talking about the black political corporate and media class. Right. And so what I'm saying is that these are the people who benefit from peddling identity, Right. Um, They're the ones that construct the narratives around Black misery and pain in a way in which they could use as a bargaining chip for their own gain, Mm -hmm. right? So when it comes to the Black political class, for example, what I'm saying is that they have mapped themselves into the Democratic Party, Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily materially Um, uh, come through as we're seeing now today with, with Biden, with anything that are, that's related to uh, the black ask, right? Mm -hmm. But they do peddle race right around election times, whether it's, you know, our voting rights of black people are, you know, that they're, they're going to be challenged. We're going to go back into Jim Crow. Um, I mean, you know, like you'll see race come up, you'll see the issues of race and policing, because that becomes the way of getting black people to the polls. So they're, they're weaponizing race as a way of creating, uh, this sense of insecurity. Um, and so even when you look at black corporate America, you know, I mean, think about it. How do you go from, a situation in Minnesota with a white officer's neck on the um, uh, knee, knee, knee yeah. on the neck of, uh, of 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 a poor black man. Um, how do you go from that situation to everything in corporate America being about DEI?
1: And, tar- and Target now deciding we want to give $50 million right. to black folks. Oh, right. and by the way, all these other companies started lining up to start giving millions of dollars right. after they saw this. And what's that right. got to do with it? What it has to do with it and whose hands is it going into? It's That's going a in, big.
0: It's going yeah. into the hands of the black political media class, media nonprofit class, right? um, the people who got big megaphones to speak on behalf of these communities. So, so I really like look at that group. I look at them as kind of the, you know, they're, they set themselves up as the gatekeepers using racial identity. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that's really the challenge. So before we start this, this, uh, not before we started the podcast, but before I came on, I began to think about racial identity and what's being formed out there, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I I came up with a, def- a, a couple of different groups that are kind of representing racial identities. And when they're all, they're all benefiting off of the commodity of 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 race and blackness, right? So okay, you kind I can't of have like black... here it is, yeah, yeah. So the first one that I call kind of like the uh, it's it's woke blackness. It's it's that that black. That's a group. Well, yeah, that's what I'm calling them, the the woke. I'm calling them oh, white. okay, okay. You know the 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 woke blackness. That's what okay. I'm calling them, right? Oh, okay, okay. And I got you. The way I would describe them is kind of the um, they are the black political and media class um that weighs heavily on identity. Um, they see all problems through a structural lens and um, and their critique is on the externalities of the problem, right? And as I talked about before, they um, they map themselves to the Democratic Party and um, and really institutionalizing blackness within the Democratic Party. And so then you have kind of like the second group, that I call, um, um, you know, they're they're the black anti anti racists and racial rejectionists, right? And these are people who push more of a conservative, kind of respectability assimilationist politics. Uh, they are fervent about denying or downplaying uh, racism and the events that occur in our in our American zeitgeist around race. And they're almost playing the role of the apologist and the and the mythbuster, and, and they're wedded more to the kind of a tradition of race, right? So that's what they put out there. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with these guys, but that's everyone from, you know, John McCorder to, oh, yeah. Yeah. to Glenn Lowry, yeah. you know, to um, uh, guys like, um, what's his name? Thomas Chatterton Williams, Uh, these are all guys like, for example, like Thomas Chatterton Williams, he's a race rejectionist, right? Mm -hmm. So he's a a black man that uh, wrote a very interesting book around how he was leaving race, because after the birth of uh, his child, he had a child with a, with a, uh, with a white French woman, he saw that his child had very little characteristics of someone who we would call black. Mm-hmm. So he began to really question whether um, race and race essentialism could be part of how he created identity for uh, him and his family. So he decided that he couldn't and walked away from the concept of race. So he's now rejecting race uh, as a construct, all in all, okay. so it's just very interesting that you have all of these different people out here speaking to race and identity, but it's almost as a commodity. I'm going to keep on saying that.
1: You know, I was just sitting here thinking. Remember, man, you know, you just got back from Europe, and you know, going to Portugal and England and Spain. And what was it you told me, man, that share, I'd love for you to share that again, man. Where well, you mentioned uh, when they identify someone as, what was it, Black? Like, what? Uh, yeah, it, it was, that
0: was a moment for me. Now, I've been to Europe a thousand times, right? And for some reason, my sensibilities were just more heightened around things for whatever reason. Um. But on a couple of occasions, when I was in Portugal, when I was in Spain, um, I realized when we were having conversations and we had to use identity as a marker of distinction, right? Just in a regular conversation, um, I used the word Black man, Mm -hmm. right? And the people around me didn't know what that meant because I put a lot of emphasis on that as a Mm -hmm. black man, right? Mm -hmm. And they were like, so what is a, what does that mean? And their response was that they called me a darker man. Now it Mm -hmm. wasn't like they said, no, no, you're not black. You're a darker man. No, they just, my marker was as a darker man. And what I realized at that moment was that when they referred to me as a darker man, it was just an identity marker, no different than someone who has red hair, Mm -hmm. you know, or someone who is six feet four versus being five foot four. Mm -hmm. And so it it really hit me at that moment that as a black man holding that, that that was tied to a lot of stuff, brother, here in the United States, Mm -hmm. that's tied to a history, that's tied to a set of assumptions, that's tied to uh, an experience that many of us bond over. Mm -hmm. And so it really began to make me kind of pause and really think about myself, you know, what is identity, especially in the context of being
1: black and being male? You know, A few weeks ago, man, we lost uh, a titan of a black man in the black community, and that was Sidney Poitier. Um, You know, if you know anything about him, man, he was a lot more than just an actor. Brother did a lot of amazing things. And I was when so the day he passed away, man, I went deep in my archives and said, man, I want to go look at a few of his movies, man, just to kind of you know, pay homage to him, man. Now, of course, the classics, man, are up Saturday night. Let's do it again, right? All the the classics with him and Bill Cosby. But the one I decided to watch was Paris Blues. I don't know if you, have you ever seen that one? That's the one with him, Diane Carroll, uh, Joanne Woodward, and Paul Newman, where he plays a jazz artist who has left the United States and has moved to Paris. This is in the late 50s, early 60s. And the one, man, it's a scene where him and Diane Carroll are walking across a bridge, and they're having this dialogue about Black America. But his, as a Black man, and how he's viewed, and how he's seen, and how he's treated, and how when he went to Paris, it was a totally different situation for him. Now, remember, this is pre Martin Luther King and all that. And what I'm saying is that I know because I've been to Europe, just like you, the black identity of the black man is viewed very differently when we leave this country. It's why when people ask me to speak to schools and go in and talk to young kids, one of the first things I tell them is get a passport so you can go leave this country and you can get a better identity, not a, a better look at it, not just how y- the United States views you, but how the world sees you. Because if you stay in the United States and you stay here and have just this only United States America view of how they look at black men and, the, and how black men are searching for that identity, you will be lost. Because you need to look at the world from a global perspective. Because, for one, let's be blunt on a global perspective, there are more darker men on a global perspective than there are any other race, uh, meaning uh, lighter men, right? Now, I'm not, I can't give statistics, but I know from a global perspective, there are more men of color, darker men in the world than there are of men who don't have that, who, who are not colored or white.
0: No, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, for me and, you know, I'm not necessarily making the rest of the world to be Disneyland around, Mm -hmm. you know, the different, how people respond to different groups, because even in Europe, you know, you you take for the, the French example, it's interesting because you know the French, and I think what they take a lot of pride in is that they don't have any racial categories. Mm-hmm. You know, and really, when we're talking about racial identity, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the the categorization of race, and you know, we all know that race is a um, is 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 the, from a biological standpoint, it really has a very small variation, you know, between, you know, what one can one race versus the other. And really to tell you the truth, that's really based on populations and not necessarily race. Race was essentially a construct that was made up here in America uh, as a way of classifying, you know. um, um, People. People, period, right? Yeah. But it's interesting because when you go to France, they don't have race categorizations. But I don't want to let them off the hook because they still treat you know yeah, people yeah. of color you know like trash. Right now, some will say that's because um, it it's, it more maps to uh, them being immigrants, which could be, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but really, what I find is. And 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 I and I want to pose this as a question to you: Is that definitely leaving the shores of America puts you in a very ponderous situation around um, identity? And so you had used the word um, searching for identity with black men. Do you think that's what we're doing? That's do you think that's where we are and that's the challenge that we're actually searching for identity to to is that to be something that represents blackness or is that something to represent something that doesn't take on the designation
1: of blackness as i i, I have a new term i coined. um here's my two cents spend it well um I think that there are a large number of black men now that is just searching for their identity and who they are and where they might fit in in the world. Um, and I'll, again, I'll just speak from from my own experience as a black man in America. You know, when I think of a lot of the brothers that I've been exposed to um, over the years, young and old. Some older than me, some my age, some younger. That a lot of them are still trying to 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 be something that maybe inherently they're not. Um, can because, can you can can you just kind of fret that out a little bit? Yeah, because I think a lot of brothers, you know, like I remember one of the earlier podcasts, you joked with me about liking Fleetwood Mac, right? And for a lot of black men and black folks in period, I'm using a very simple, I, I remember growing up, I was listening to a lot of, I just call it non-black music, you know? Now, hey man, I love my, Steve, you know, I'm from Detroit, man. So I love my Motown, love my Stevie, my Temps, my Dianas, the Jackson Five, on and on. But I was also listening to Fleetwood Mac and Led Zeppelin and the Eagles. And I remember people looking at me saying, that's not black, that's black, that ain't black music. And as a kid, see, I didn't care because that's just how I was. But I think a lot of men and women, but I'll say black men, they will will do things that they might not otherwise want to do because they want to fit in. It's kind of like when I, I used to joke with all my boys when we would get our first jobs coming out of college, most of us went to work in, be blunt, all white environments. And I used to have a running joke with, I would say, how many days did it take them before they asked you if you wanted to play on the basketball team, right? If the the company had a basketball team or a sports team, because that's how they identified us, right? Immediately we walk in, Amma, you what, 6'4"? I'm immediately, I know people look at you and they don't know the brilliant black man you are, but immediately I'm sure a lot of cats looked at you and immediately say, oh man, I know he played ball. And I guess when we started the conversation today and I started out with Facebook and their AI calling us primates is because this is how, in, as I'm giving my, my discussion, I wanna change our narrative. I want to show us that there are black men that are doing all different kinds of things. We don't all have to listen to the same music. We don't all have to like the same things. We're as varied as any other group. But I think I, what I, want, I hope is that black men listening to this podcast, whoever you are, wherever you are, the thing I always want to get across is that I would hope you would just stay true to who you are whatever that may be
0: what, that's very interesting and th- i i love that and i think what that reminds me of is um the whole ideal around black men and self-agency you know um you know th- the idea that we are searching for an identity um it makes sense especially based on what you just said because i think you know we don't necessarily allow ourselves to fall into um, our interests, uh, our, our behaviors, our, our authenticity in ways that doesn't reflect um, the, the dominant narrative or just the dominant set of um, behaviors, you know that we often want to um, lead with. And that is an essential part of really finding your identity in a way that even transcends the notion of of blackness and being a black man, you know, because even when you think of being a black man and and I would put this question to you that what makes us black men? Is it, that we're bonded together by an identity that is based on struggle, based on mm-hmm. how we are perceived by the um, by the American zeitgeist, um, or is there something else that represents our identity that becomes the glue? And, you know, that's a rhetorical question, but feel free to answer that because I see black men, you know, like I said, you mentioned a search for identity. I see it as a self, as a search for self agency and self authorship, you know, okay. and that puts us in the world in a way that allows for us to fully, fully be realized as human beings mm-hmm. and i think a lot of that really has to come down to um challenging certain assumptions around what it means to be a black man you know and going on your going on your way mm-hmm.
1: Man, you know, I'm listening to you, and I'm just sitting here like we did pick a heavy topic, didn't we, bro? Yeah, we did, and I'm I'm glad we did because one of the things that I'm getting out of this just from listening to you is that you know, as I'm continuing just to think this thing through of what again the title being the search for identity, you know, and you know. I'm in my fifties now. I'd like to think I know who I am now, right? If I ain't figured out who I am by now, then shame on me. But not a percent
0: of not hundred percent of where you are, uh, who you are. Otherwise, we would have to just go ahead and drop you six feet under, bro.
1: (laughs) Well, hey, you know, it's a daily growth, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a day. It's daily growth. Is growth is daily, but but at the core, I know who I am. And you asked about you know, what is it? And I, the first thing that came to me, man, again, just off the top of my head, I had a, I had a vision of when I first went to college and I walked into the cafeteria as a freshman, this big old cafeteria. And the first thing I did was I looked around and I saw a group of people, all black sitting at a table that we're all sitting together, and I said, "Well, do they know each other?" And then, of course, and, and you gotta say, I went to a state school, right? right so there right. was hundreds of people in this cafeteria, but they were all the black kids was in one table, and it might have been some others scattered around. And you know me, man, I'm I'm like I'm gonna go sit at the non-black table because I wanna I wanna just see what's up, right? I'm I'm an engineer, and I'm like I'm gonna meet some some other folks. But a lot of us, I think, would have picked the black table because they felt comfortable there and because of the skin color that has bonded us together. Because that's the only thing I saw when I walked in that cafeteria, Mm -hmm. right, Was skin color. I didn't see nothing else. So as I'm thinking about what you just said, man, what I think for what, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, I think it's skin color. Dark skin color, black skin color, whatever we, you want to call it, that's what. That's one of the things that identity that uh, uh, has the gives us our identity in the world. You you know when we walk around, you know I I remember remember when Tiger Woods was, was saying I'm not black, I'm Belasian. and uh, and he did I guess he he didn't want to disrespect his mother's heritage. And then we were joking, like, hey, man, if you get pulled over by the popo, they're going to say, hey, you black. They ain't going to be calling right. you Belagian. Well,
0: well, you know, that, that that's, <laughs> that's, that's so true, man. I know he got a lot of heat for that. He but, did. But, but, that's the, but that's the point in the issue there because, yeah, I mean, skin color, but we map skin color to race. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, now, like I said, phenotypically, you know, skin color is just skin color. Um, it is, um, that is more ma- mapped to populations than the socially constructed ideal of race. But you you can't totally dismiss race because it's embedded into the American culture in so many different ways. One way of which is what you just said. You know, the fact that, you know, we can, the, the relationship that police that we have with police, um, still puts race, you know, as um as a as a marker for um for being treated differently. Um but it's interesting, man, because when you say that you that they were all sitting at the table, and you know there was a book actually written, Why are the black all the black kids sitting at the table i the seen same it, Yeah, I've seen that. Yep. But, I've seen it. You know. But what really had all of the Black people at the table? Is it a sense of insecurity? Is it a sense of, you know, what is the bonding agent other than just Black skin? Is it, because I would assume that when you get to college, you all come from different type of neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So is it just the fact that, you know, we all have a culture that can connect us. Now, we're not the only ones that do that. I mean, no, oh, no, is, right? no, no, right. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. However, this ideal around feeling a need to go there, I mean, that happens a lot with Black people in a lot of different environments that they go in, right? And mm. we have a tendency to want to put a big stamp a big black stamp (laughs) that says you know i am black and so that becomes your identity for how you are expecting someone to interpret you Mm -hmm. and so you know what i think about is you know is there a sense of insecurity that that becomes our blanket um because man, I got to tell you, speaking about travel, uh, Dollar Bill, there's been times when I've traveled, and I'm gonna be hundred percent honest with you on this. But there's been times when I traveled, and you would see uh, black, you know, uh, black people out mm-hmm. and traveling, mm-hmm. and man, they're wearing shirts, you know, that says, you know, "Black Traveler." you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. something that's identifying themselves out in the world like that. And I'm just wondering, first of all, when I see that I'm, I'm not attracted to it, you know, actually mm-hmm. I, I become, you know, somewhat reluctant about, you know, creating connections uh, with them. It's just, it's just a turnoff for me. Right. I got you. Um, But You know, I wonder why is it necessary for us to wear black identity on our sleeves so prominently, even when we leave outside of the source that we consider to be the place
1: of oppression? Well, some consider to be the place of oppression. You know, here's why. I I mean, I can't you know, I know that was just something you put out. I, oh, I man, I want you to answer. answer that.
0: I want you to answer I mean,
1: okay, I, you know, what's going I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to answer it like this. When you and I decided to do this podcast, you know, both of us started doing research on podcasting and wanting to sign up for all the different services. And then I saw there's an organization called Black Podcasters. Right. Right? Right. And I'm like, how come we just can't be some podcasters? Exactly. Right? Right. But it's like, I think people... You know, this is what I'm going to, I'm I'm here's how I'm going to answer it. And I say this to you all the time, man, take away this technology, take away these cell phones, take away a lot of these things, man. And at the core, we still tribal animals. We all want to exist in a tribe and be identified with the tribe. You take away who we are at the very core, of, you know, and as I call, look, I'm not going to get overly spiritual but I call, this is my earth suit. This is my suit for earth. Mine just happened to be dark, black. I just, I think a lot of those black, people just trying to identify with something and identify with their tribe. Like when I saw the whole thing around black podcasters, right, hashtag, right? You got hashtag black podcaster. I just want to be a podcaster, right? right? I want to be a podcast host. Now, what's my podcast about? It's about Black men. Conversations for Black men. But it don't have to necessarily be only for Black men. We welcome other people to listen to our podcast. In and, fact, and, and, I know and, me and you tell other people yeah. that are non-Black about our podcast. Well,
0: well in addition to that, I, I don't think that we are... You know, and I, I know you and I have had discussions on this that we we're not just about talking about black men more than it is about black men having a platform to express mm-hmm. themselves. So, because that to me that's what I see as the challenge is that especially in this in this identity politics driven world where you know black men as a as a population group. Um, is not part of the uh, the hierarchy of, uh, of of needs that are being put out, you know, in the in the marketplace around, you know, who who gets access or, or gets to be expressed. Um, and so, uh, I see this as a way of getting black men to do what you talked about earlier—to come here to talk about anything doesn't necessarily have to be black about Black mm-hmm. issues, even though we like to hit on those,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: really about Black men just being able to show up in the myriad of ways that you mentioned earlier, you know, when you talked about, you know, listen to Fleetwood Mac, you know, like, hey, if a Black man wants to come on here and do an hour talking about Fleetwood Mac, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you going to give him some greed. You know, you gonna sweat that brother. I, I am gonna sweat him. I am gonna sweat. Him. <laughs> <Keep it out. laughs> but if you want to come on and talk about George Clinton.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but if I sweat him, it won't be because he is a a black man listening to Fleetwood Mac. It will be
1: because he's
0: listening to Fleetwood
1: Mac. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, man, we, we might have to mix it up. We might have to get some Fleetwood Mac <laughs> and some George Clinton on here. I hear you, absolutely, brother. brother absolutely. Hey, well, look, man, I know we've been rapping for a minute. This is one of those topics, I know, man, where me and you probably could go on for yeah, a we'll, few we'll hours. Pro-
0: we'll co- probably come back, but I think it's... Yeah. Uh, It's a good way to start the year with something that I think continues to bubble up uh, in this country and really needing to find a way to give people room to not just show up in a Black identity by default. I mean, so if you really feel that Black identity is the core source and a core driver of, you know, what makes you human, what makes you relevant, and what brings value to you, that's all good. But really what I wanted to do today is to really um, bring light of how race is being used uh, in America today by many people inside our community and out, but also to make room for those who are somewhat reluctant about uh, wearing, you know, the um, uh, wearing identity or feeling a need to wear it
1: because it's part of the herd. You know, it, I just had a, a moment of just remembering, For Christmas, someone white gave me a Christmas ornament, all black, with Black Lives Matter painted on it, right? And when I got it, I mean, you know, it it was a Christmas gift, right? Right. So on one hand, you you do want to be respectful. Right. Right. But on the other hand, I'm looking at this Christmas gift, bruh. I mean, this Christmas ornament. And it had Black Lives Matter painted on it. And I think that is one of the things we talked about or how this thing is being monetized. That's a commodity, right? man. Totally. Right? So because I guarantee you that the folks behind Black Lives Matter, whoever they are, because we don't even know who behind Black Lives Matter anymore, right. I'm sure they didn't get no royalties or nothing on right. that ornament, right? right? Somebody, maybe in China, right? <laughs> right. Put, made this Christmas ornament, put Black Lives Matter on it, and they sold it to somewhere in the United States. Well, that, I think that's, that's a perfect example dude, this, of how yep. this crap, man, and I call it crap because I'm trying not to cuss on a podcast, but I, I look at how... Black Lives Matter has been put on anything you can think of right now. A t-shirt, they probably got some Black Lives Matter. I know ball players been wearing Black Lives Matter on their cleats and their gym shoes.
0: And one of the things and one of the things we know uh Dollar Bill is that the proceeds of that is not going to the material conditions of more oh, no. black people in America. Oh no. So, oh, no. So next time, brother, I'm um, I'm up in the Bay Area, um, let's play a game, man. You could take that Black Lives Matter bub and and throw it up in the air, man. I'm going to see if I can shoot it out of the air. <laughs> 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 Let
1: me see how, hey, hey just, make sure, just make sure we're in the right neighborhood <laughs> when we do it so we don't get shot back. <laughs> <laughs> or or go to jail it, depending
0: on the neighborhood But anyhow, man yeah so this has been a great discussion brother i'm glad we we opened this up yes, so sir. i just so i just want to uh say to the audience that um you could check us out at im5fifths.com that's spelled out.com and there you'll find all of our podcasts. As well as having options of going to places where it's distributed, like Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc., and we have articles on our website as well as uh, all of our recordings. So, brother, dollar bill, want to thank you, man, for
1: thank uh, you, bro. Hang in with me, my brother, amen. It's all good, man. And what we hope to do over time, I'll just add, is build our community out. We're working on that, we need to put the things in place where we can have people give us feedback right you know and build out this community and you know we got some some nice surprises coming down the line we Absolutely. won't we ain't gonna we ain't gonna blow it uh right. uh no no uh, big
0: reveal right
1: now man. yeah 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 that's it that's the word i'm looking for no big re- what's that when with uh, the kids i mean when the parents have a uh, that's the reveal, call it the baby reveal man. that's the
0: reveal man
1: yeah we ain't no reveals yet man but hey brother as always it's a pleasure uh doing this with you man going on this journey with you um i'm i'm hoping man what with the information we share i said i might not change anybody's mind but i want people to use your mind when you think about the things that ahmad and i talk about we look man i just want people brothers to be in a position where they can think on their own make their own decisions uh and be and hold their heads up high man and be strong yeah i mean we've seen some horrible things happen to black men over the last few years right black man just getting shot by some white folks just because he jogging down the street right Right. So, I mean, that, so you and I, I want us to b- hold our heads high, not walk around in fear. Hey, man, I'm, we might go out somewhere and toss that bad boy up and start <laughs> shooting it. Because, you know, I, I want the key word for me is, man, I'm fearless. Right. I'm not I refuse to let any of these incidents, these people have me walking around in fear.
0: So the key, so the key word for me is, as I said, is agency, but one last thing, because I think we have to get out of here is, um, I think, man, I'm going to, um, write a little, um, article for our website where I'll put up some books, um, that that they can recommend. I got about three different books that, um, I think would be helpful to help facilitate, um, your own kind of intellectual, and philosophical understanding of this topic because I think we're at a moment where
1: it should be something to think about. Well, hey, man, you know my book, I dropped it earlier in the podcast, yeah. A Must Read for Any Black Man, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellis. And did you know that's the only novel he ever wrote? Yeah. Oh, well, the other one
0: got burned up, man. So yeah, it's yeah. a terrible tragedy. But let's get out of here, my brother. All right, so, brother. Thank you and uh, peace, man. Peace.